white thing right here. He has a tooth, uh, which is pretty exciting. As a dad, we get excited about... Hey, if you do not have a Bible, we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture today. Uh, if you do not have one, please just throw up your hand. Um, we have some people that will come and get you a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, please keep this. This is for you. It's a gift. We want you to have this. We want you to read it. We want you to use it. Uh, we want you to mark it up. So if you do not have a Bible, go ahead and throw up your hand. So uh, my family, we've been in Davis since 2014, about two and a half years now. And uh, when we first moved to Davis, we, we came uh, to a couple different churches. We came to Discovery, and we immediately felt loved uh, and challenged by the preaching here. And so we have called this church our home for two and a half years. And we love this church, and I really have loved this series. I think uh, Ephesians is, is powerful. I think Ephesians is important, uh, and I think Ephesians gives us a picture of what we should look like as the church. And so I'm, I'm so excited to be preaching. I have a quote up here from John McKay, um, just because he can say it better than I can. So he's the former president of Princeton Theological Seminary, and he said this about Ephesians. He said, here in this book is the distilled essence of the Christian religion, the most authoritative and most consummate compendium of our holy Christian faith. Wordier than I would say it, but uh, hopefully you guys get the sense from even from him of this, this is it, right? If you had to, uh, to give a, a short, concise manual to a church and said, what, what does your church look like? How do people act in the church? What do you believe? You'd give them Ephesians. So this is important. And because of that, uh, I don't want to go any further without praying. God, thank you so much uh, this morning for the opportunity to preach through Ephesians. Uh, God, I know that with the time change, there's some tiredness. I know that with finals coming up, there's some tiredness and distractedness. I know all of us have uh, baggage and things that we're bringing with us to this Sunday morning. God, I pray that as we look at your word together, that the concerns and the worries of this world would fade away as we see the greatness of the gospel, as we see the implications of the gospel, as we see the joy that comes as a result of the gospel. I pray that our focus and our sight and our thoughts would be directed to you this morning. Spirit, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds that we might understand your word more. God, I pray that we would leave here not just with more knowledge, but transformed in the light of the gospel. God, only you can do this, so I pray that you would. In your son's name, amen. Amen. So as we've been going through Ephesians, you saw in the video, we've had three goals. Okay? We want to see the greatness of God and the love that he has for us. And the last couple weeks, we've really been hitting that theme. We've been seeing what has God done for us, what is true of us now. We've been looking at Ephesians 1 through 3 and we see that God has, through Christ, given us every spiritual blessing. We see that we were dead to sin, now we're alive because of Christ's grace. We were separated from God, alienated from him, now we're reconciled, we have peace. And, and we read Ephesians 1-3 through 3 and we're left with a sense of, wow, God, that's amazing. Right? You would do that for me? You would do that for us? Wow. And then we get to Ephesians 4.1. And we've looked at this verse a lot, and I think it's important. We've got to look at it again. 
he, he switches. There, there's a switch in his thinking, in his, in his writing. Ephesians 4.1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my good friend Tom explained this verse, kind of the, the, the Greek context behind this. And I'm just going to say it again because I think it's beautiful. This word worthy, uh, the Greek word is axios, and it, it is the picture of a weighted scale. So you have a weighted scale. On one hand, uh, you have a basket. On the other hand, you have another basket. And when the weights are equal, it's, it's in balance. Okay? So what Paul is saying here is, look at what you've been called to. Look at what God has done for you. Look at the, the majesty, the incredible gift that he's given. That is our calling. Okay? And on the other hand, he says, now, walk in line with that. Our life should be balanced. God has called us to this. We should walk accordingly. And that's what we're looking for in Ephesians 4 through 6. Brief outline for you guys. Hopefully you've been going through Ephesians on the reading plan Hopefully you're starting to see some themes coming out as you go through it week after week. Uh, here's just a big outline for 4 through 6. So in, in chapter 4, the first 16 verses, we looked at these last week, uh, we, look, we see the question, how do we as Christians act in the church? How do we interact with each other as the body of Christ? And the theme there is unity. We see, we see unity as the theme. How do we as a body act unified? One spirit, one body, one God. Next week, we're going to be looking at how do we as Christians act in the home? How do we interact in our most intimate of relationships? Our husband, wives, parents. He's going to talk about love and respect. And then in a few weeks, we're going to look at how do we act in the spiritual world against the very real enemy that we face? And Paul's going to teach us how to walk with strength against the enemy. And today, this morning, we're answering the question, how do we walk in the world? How do you respond when your boss is a jerk or unfair and he cheats you or treats you poorly? How do, what do you do when your friends in the dorms invite you to a party where you know there's going to be alcohol? When your group of friends is making racist or, or sexual jokes and you're not sure if you should laugh? How do Christians handle things like pornography and alcohol? How should we view and treat those things? How do we walk in the world that we live in in light of the gospel of Christ? Paul's going to tell us in 417 through 521, he's going to say we as Christians should walk in holiness. And it's a long text. Lot to cover. I'm just going to say it up front. I'm not going to go as in-depth as, as I could, as you should. Uh, I'm going to give some big pictures, some big themes, kind of connect some dots. And my hope and encouragement is that, to you guys is that you, as you're reading through this during the week, that you would go more in-depth and allow the Lord to speak to you further. And I am going to read all of the text, but not at once. We're going to read it as we go. And I'm going to start with chapter 4. 20 through 24, because I need to unpack this idea of holiness, because even as I say that word, I imagine there's a lot of different ideas about what that means, what that looks like, ways we've heard it used. So I, I need to talk about that a little bit. So in chapter 4, he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, 
to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So let's define this idea of holiness. What does it mean for us to walk in holiness? I'm going to give you a definition first, and then I'll explain it. The definition I I think has been really helpful for me is conformity to the will of God in all things. So holiness means that we as Christians are conforming to what God intends for us. His will becomes our will, and we live out of that. That is conformity to to what he would have us do. Author Jerry Bridges, uh, in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, he defines holiness as separation to God and the conduct befitting those so separated. To live a holy life, then, is to live a life in conformity to the moral precepts of the Bible and in contrast to the sinful ways of the world. And I I heard a really neat uh, word picture to to explain this idea a few weeks ago. I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, I don't know how many of you have this still, but uh, I've been to a lot of houses where they have a display case for the really fine china. Uh, It's the china that you get for your wedding that you use once in your life and then never again. I just still don't understand the purpose. But that, that china, right, it is, it is set apart for a special use, oftentimes undefined, but uh, maybe like 30th anniversary or something. I'm not sure. It would be really, really wrong for me to pull down the china and put on my Kraft mac and cheese that just came out of the microwave, right? That would not be a good use for the fine china because that china is separated for special use. That is holy china, okay? You guys won't forget it now. Next time you think the word holy, you're going to think mac and cheese on really nice china. In the same way, uh, it'd be really, really wrong for us, as those who have been set apart by God for holy use, to give our body to the ways of this world, to sin. Now, some of us uh, still have maybe some negative connotations with the word holiness. You know, we think that's a list of rules, things that I'm not allowed to do now that I'm a Christian. And the reality is that nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, John, I won't do it full justice, but John 15, 10 through 11, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Guys, holiness Conformity to the will of God is a means for us to receive and experience joy. Lots of parents in here. When you tell, when you tell your children, uh, thankfully Cohen's not at the age where he can say no yet, but when you tell your children that they can't eat the whole five-pound bag of candy, right, you're not intending to be mean. You're not trying to like rob them of fun. You're trying to protect them because you know what will happen if they do that. In the same way, God has rules for us. And he says, don't, don't go there. I know it looks tempting. Don't go there. I have a better plan for you. I want you to experience joy. Okay. So how do we walk in holiness? What, is that, what does that look like on the day-to-day basis? This text today is going to give us four kind of broad strokes, four practical ways that we can walk in holiness. The first one, starting in 417, Do not walk like the world. Do not walk like the world. 
Starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now briefly, what Paul's saying here is uh, Gentiles were those who were not Jewish, uh, those who were not included in God's family, um, God's promise, God's people. Today, uh, we could read that and say non-Christians or those who are lost, those who do not know Jesus. And what he's saying is that the world, those who don't know Jesus, they live in a certain way. And that's not you anymore. Right? Don't, don't live the way that they live. In Ephesians 2, uh, James shared with us that we were dead in trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of the world. So that, that used to be us. We used to do that. And Paul says, don't do that anymore. Because, in verse 20... He says, that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. So he's saying, you, you were dead in sin. You, you did what the world does. You were intent on pursuing sin and sensuality and greediness, looking out only for yourself. That was, that was you once upon a time, but put off that old self. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I'm going I'm to say this strongly because I think, I think it needs to be said. If, if what you believe about God and about Jesus allows you to continue sinning without grief, without sorrow, without repentance, that's not the gospel that Paul's preaching. Paul does not preach a gospel that allows us to continue living in sin the way we once lived. He says, that's not you anymore. That's not the gospel. The gospel that Paul is preaching, the gospel that we believe, says, I was dead and now I'm alive. And I'm going to put off the old self and put on the new self. In verse 25 through 32, he gives some really practical examples and again, I'm not going to go too in-depth, but maybe as you hear these, one of them will kind of stand out to you. And if it does, don't write that down. Don't forget it. Take that to the Lord. Ask him about it. 25 through 32. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, real quick, the way we should read this is not like, well, he listed about six or seven things, and I'm doing good on about four of them, so I think I'm okay. That's not how we read this. We should read this and think, man, if there's one of those things that's not true of me, 
If I, if I am still living out of malice or anger, if I'm still lying to my neighbor, if I'm still kind of cheating people out of what is theirs, let that convict us. And let us say, today, I want to put off the old self. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to put on the new self. So to walk in holiness means we don't walk as the world walks, the way we once lived, because that's not how we learn Christ. That's not the gospel. Number two, to walk in holiness means that we walk in love. Starting in chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is really important. This, this is the foundation. This is where the motivation for our holiness comes from. It's right here. It's, we are beloved children. Now, some of you, that might not mean what it should. I understand that, that more and more so people are coming from broken homes where they've never experienced the unconditional love of a parent. So I need to emphasize this. And even if we have, uh, even if we have, we grew up in a home where we were loved and cared for, we, we need to hear this. The gospel does not say, be holy so that you'll be loved by God. It says, you are loved by God, therefore be holy. The gospel says that while we were sinners, spiritually dead, separated from God, God purchased us. When he sent Jesus to die for us, he purchased us out of deadness, out of separation, out of our unholiness and sin. And he adopted us. And those adoption papers were signed with the blood of Jesus, his son, who loved us and gave himself for us. So that we can say with confidence this morning, no matter what happened yesterday, this last week, this morning, that if our faith is in Jesus, we are beloved children. We're loved by God. And what Paul is saying here is, you're loved by God. Act, act like children. Right? Act the way children should act. I'm going to share this analogy that another friend of mine shared. You know, my son Cohen, again, he's only seven months. I got another picture of him, I think. <laughs> I mean, come on, right? Uh, I mean, I know I'm biased, but dang, that guy's cute. Cohen, Cohen uh, was born, Cohen James Miller. Uh, he is my son, and there is absolutely nothing that he can ever do to lose my love for him. Some of you parents are like, well, he's only seven months, just wait. <laughs> he's always going to be a Miller. He's always going to be my son. That does not mean that I'm going to let him do whatever he wants as he grows up. Okay? I want to train my son uh, to obey his parents, to obey authorities. I want to train him to love others, to love God, to fear the Lord. Not so that he can become my son, but because he is my son. The same for us. We are, through Christ, children of God, sons and daughters adopted by God. Let's live like that. Let's follow his example. Imitate God as beloved children. How, how did Christ love us? How, what does this love look like? Uh, John 15, 12 through 13. He says, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he defines for us what love is. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
Uh, I'm not naive. Most of us will probably never have the opportunity to die for a friend. Um, Maybe we will. I don't know. I don't anticipate it. But the reality is that every day we have opportunities to lay down our life, to lay down what we want, to lay down our desires for our neighbors, for our family, for our friends. And I I think for the most part we know what that looks like, right? When, When I ask... Uh, you know, how about, how about your relationship with your roommates? Or how about your relationship with your spouse, your kids? Do you feel like you've been loving them? Most of us have an intuitive sense of what that means. Uh, so I'll just, I'll just say this about it. Uh, laying down our life for somebody in love means that we put what is best for them over what is best for us. And I want to give one really practical example of this because I think this is important. To love somebody is to want what is best for them. And as Christians, we know what is best for people. It's a relationship with a loving God who sent his son to die. And so for many of us, to love our neighbors or to love our family, to love our friends, means that we would overcome the fear or the awkwardness, the shame of of sharing who we are in Christ, of, of inviting people to church, of telling them about the good news of Jesus. The most loving thing I think you can ever do for somebody is to bring them closer to God and to give them an opportunity to respond to Jesus. So to to walk in love, uh, it's simple. It means that in every relationship, uh, every encounter, you are laying down your life for the sake of others. Just as Christ laid down his life for us. Number three, walk in light. Starting in verse three, He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So verse 8 says that at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And at Discovery, we often say, come as you are. Because we mean it. We want you to come as you are with your brokenness, with your hurt, with your pain, with your sin, knowing that this is not a perfect place, nor will it ever be a perfect place. And and Paul is saying here, he says, as a church, as Christians, uh, we should walk in the light, which means first that we don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Sexual morality, uh, including adultery, pornography, masturbation, sex before marriage, all of those things, sexual morality. He says there should be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. 
And I'm going to speak just for one second to the college students here. Uh, as a Christian, we have absolutely no right to play games like Cards Against Humanity. Right? Those games, things like that, they're built on the foundation of crude humor, inappropriate jokes, filthiness. Right? As Christians, that's not us anymore. We were darkness, that's not us anymore, though. We're light. It's a recurring theme. Dead, alive. Separated, reconciled. Darkness, light. Orphans, adopted children. Now, uh, as I say this, maybe there's some here that are thinking, man, I'm still living part of my life in darkness. So I just even wanted to share a little bit of my own story in that. So... In middle school, it was when I first discovered pornography. And, and that, as a young guy, really consumed me in middle school and high school. And I was so ashamed of it. And I didn't tell anyone. I kept it hidden. I kept it dark. I kept it secret. Thinking that I was in control. Thinking that I could stop. Thinking that, uh, man, I, I can take care of this on my own. And it wasn't until college when I finally kind of reached a breaking point and encouraged, stepped out and talked to a guy who was in my Bible study, uh, another freshman in college, and I just shared with him. I said, look, this is what I'm struggling with. Can you help? Will you pray with me? Will you check in with me? Like, will you walk with me in this? And it was once I brought that into the light, once I exposed it to somebody else, that it began to lose power. That's when I began to get rid of it. That's when I began to experience victory in it. Guys, sin thrives in the darkness. It thrives in hiddenness. It thrives in secrecy. And the, the subtle lie that you'll believe again and again is you're in control. You, you can take care of this. It's okay. And there's another subtle lie that nobody will accept you if they know. And, and what this verse is saying is as Christians, we walk in the light. And when we bring things into the light, they lose their power. And discovery is a safe place where you can bring things into the light. So in a discovery group, man, if you have something you need to share, don't wait. Text somebody today. Set up a, set up a coffee date. Even, even during worship, uh, we're going to have some people over here praying. Come, share. Say, I want to get this into the light. I don't want to walk in darkness anymore. And then, verses 9 and 10, walk in the light. And all that is good and right and true. Every day we can ask Lord, what would please you today? What could I do today that is good and right and true? Walk in the light. Last one. Walk in wisdom. Starting in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says that we are to walk carefully, not foolishly, but in wisdom. And when we were kids, uh, we often did foolish things. Just me? Okay. Um, I remember a really clear one. So my, my dad was uh, really good with cliche sayings. And um, some of those really stuck with me. And I remember this one time, I was like in second grade, 
And uh, I had this obsession with Sharpies. I'm not, not to smell them or anything like that, just like, you know, I just like the idea of, of yeah. Anyway, uh, so I, I had this picture in my mind, something that I wanted to draw out in Sharpie. And my mom had this uh, really nice uh, oak dining room table that for my mom's birthday, my dad re-sanded and like re-varnished. Um, and I was obsessed with Sharpies, and so I took my one single piece of thin computer paper and put it on the kitchen table and started drawing with the Sharpie and bled right through, and I looked at, and there it is, just Sharpie. All, very clearly, like, it was obvious what I had been drawing. Uh, I think it was a dog or something, and it's like, there it is, just on the kitchen table. Um, one of many examples of foolishness, but I remember my dad saying, you know, like, what happened? And I said, Dad, I just didn't think and he stopped me. He says, well, that's the problem. You didn't think. <laughs> yep, amen. You didn't think. And he was right. I mean, I didn't think. Um, and again, you know, that happened many times. But I, that, that picture of acting without thinking through the, the implications, I think that's what Paul's trying to get at here. He's saying, hey, be, be wise. Don't be foolish. Don't, don't just act without thinking. Holiness is intentional. We don't just stumble into it. We don't just happen upon it one day. Oh, I, I accidentally was holy today. Cool. This doesn't happen that way. We, ha- we have to be wise. Verse 17, we have to understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, holiness is conformity to the will of God. If we're not in his scriptures, if we're not attending church, if we're not under the preaching of the word, how will we know what his will is? How will we conform to it? We have to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, he throws in this little interesting caveat here in verse 18. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which is debauchery. Uh, I want to answer this question once for all. I work with college students, and I get this question a lot. Well, as Christians, like, how is it, how do we, can we get drunk? You know, like, what's the line? Can we get a little buzzed? Uh, The answer is absolutely not, no, never. Uh, Do not get drunk on wine which is debauchery. What he's saying here is that that path that alcohol takes us down, the path of debauchery, it's a path of excess. It's the man who has abandoned self-control and is living only for his own pleasure. He has no thought to those around him. He has no thought to the ways of God. He is living for only himself. I don't normally do this, but I looked up just some different translations, and the New Living Translation has, I, I love this, it says, don't get drunk on wine, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. That's the idea of debauchery here. That will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, there is nothing wrong with alcohol. There is something very wrong with drunkenness. Why does that ha- what does that have to do with wisdom? When we are living only for ourselves, when we're living in debauchery, when we're just doing whatever feels good in the moment, okay, we're not thinking through the implications of our action. I want to draw with the Sharpie. I don't care what happens. I just want to draw with the Sharpie. Okay? I just want to drink. I don't really care what happens or what I say or what I do or what people think about me. I'm only looking out for myself. That's not wise. That's not honoring to God, and that's not the life that he's called us to. We do need to be careful, because in verse 16, he says, the days are evil. And what he means by this is that temptations abound. 
We live in a world that is, is full of sin and opportunities for us to sin. And if we're not careful, our default is to do what we once did. Our default is to walk in darkness. Our default is to walk as if we were still dead. If we're not intentionally pursuing holiness, it just won't, it won't happen. We don't stumble into it. Okay, quick summary, and then a call to action. So how should we as Christians walk in the world in light of the gospel? Paul says, holiness. Live lives that are separate. Live lives in conformity to the will of God. He says, don't walk like the world, but walk in love and light and wisdom. And I want to bring your guys' attention to verse 14 in chapter 5. It's a really interesting verse. Paul makes this quote, and it's still really not clear what he's quoting. So he's not quoting the Old Testament, although it's similar to some passages in the Old Testament. Uh, it's possible he was quoting like an old Christian hymn or some kind of a creed. But he says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And there's uh, some confusion where it comes from. A little bit of confusion of, of what exactly he's intending by this. But one commentator kind of summed it up this way. He said, Matthew Henry says this. He says, some indeed understand this as a call to sinners and to saints. To sinners to repent and turn. To saints to stir up themselves to their duty. The former must arise from their spiritual death and the latter must awake from their spiritual deadness. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, there's a temptation to hear something like this, a message like this, and think, yeah, I do need to work harder. Yeah, I do. I do want to improve my life. To which I would say, don't. It won't work. This holiness that we're talking about, this is not possible apart from Christ. You are spiritually dead. What you need is spiritual life. And that is only found in faith in Christ. Ephesians 2.8. Don't forget Ephesians 1-3. through 3. As we go through 4-6, through 6, don't forget 1-3. through 3. Ephesians 2, he says, It is by grace you've been saved through faith. That is not you. That's not you. You didn't do that. That's God's grace. He gave it to you. Turn to Jesus Believe in him. Accept the gift of life. If you are a Christian, Paul's saying, wake up. The days are evil. Temptations are many. You are a beloved son, a beloved daughter of Almighty God. You've been adopted. Don't, don't live the way you once lived. Don't walk the way you once walked. Awake, O sleeper. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let me pray. God, even as I share from this text, I'm reminded of, of ways in which maybe I'm not walking in love, not walking in light or walking in wisdom. I'm, I'm reminded of ways in which uh, I'm still operating out of my old self, Thank you for your word, which was given to correct and to challenge us and to transform us. Thank you that we are, in fact, before anything else, we are beloved 
children, sons and daughters of you whom you have adopted in Christ. God, thank you because we could not have done this on our own. We can't walk in holiness on our own. Thank you for adopting us. God, I do pray that we would walk as children of light, that we would walk in love, that we would walk in wisdom, that this church would look different than the world. God, would you help us this week? Would you help us today as you bring to light things that we're doing that, that we need to change? Would you help us to put off the old self? Help us to take off the old, the old ways and help us to be renewed. God, we want to walk as Christ walked. We want to be conformed to your will. Would you please do that for us this morning? God, we love you. And we're so grateful that we get to respond to your love this morning. Amen.